and welcome everyone. This is now the 18th episode of the Army of Smartness podcast. I am your co-host Ryan and with me as always the Garfunkel to my oats, the Paul to my Simon, the let's see the the Janetti to my Pillman. I say uh, you're not kicking me through no windows. No, I'm not Mr. jumping out to, to escape through one. Mr. JD. JD, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing well. The sun is high in the sky. Well, it's not now because it's dark, but uh, God's in his heaven and all is right with the world. Your Tennessee volunteers went down to ignominious defeat at the hands of the Sacramento Gamecocks. Uh, your, our beloved Georgia Bulldogs had, had a struggle bus win against kentucky but hey wins a win at this time of the year we'll take it yes sir and I, let's uh let's just hope that georgia tech got their one upset of the year uh over well, you know i'm night. actually i'm really happy they beat north carolina not that i have anything against north carolina and certainly nothing for tech other than slurs and epithets but uh i'm glad that they beat a ranked opponent so that we will take them seriously yeah so maybe that's uh Maybe now we will uh, put some respect on the trade school's name. Uh, North Avenue Trade School. But Indeed. probably not, probably not. So anyways, guys, we really appreciate you joining us yet again. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at Army of Smartness and Gmail. Our, excuse me. Our email is armyofsmartness at gmail.com. If you have any comments, good comments, nasty comments, as long as you comment, and if you have a request for anything you want us to cover, do not hesitate to ask. Give us that five-star review on your podcasting, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, let us know about it. And we'll we'll bump you to the front of the line. So, JD, I, I don't know if you're aware, but there was a there was a bit of a changing of the guard this weekend. It turns out, Mister Maxwell Jacob Friedman is the new AEW World champion a golf salt clap. of the earth golf is MJF, salt of the earth well i can't really give a proper round of applause by myself but uh no we all knew he could do it uh just a matter of when he would do it i hope this is um well timed i feel like it probably is moxley maybe gets that month off now that he was want he was wanting um that before life intervened yeah so to be fair to be fair he's deserved it i think at this no, point. no i'm not i am not maligning him in this particular yeah. instance um no he as far as i'm concerned please take that well-deserved what the rest of that hell i'll give you three mox you know just take you know what go go away go i mean go out of town somewhere relax have a nice sip of oh, i'm sorry i honestly did not mean to uh to do that uh have a nice sip of uh of coca-cola and enjoy your lovely wife and, and the beautiful life you've made with her and we'll, we'll call you we'll, we'll call it we'll call you let's just leave it at that we'll call you well here recently his matches have actually gotten to be pretty good because he's not depending on cutting himself up uh well good maybe that, he's that he was before so I, I i really have been joining his most recent ones uh i watched he stayed in the ring I would like to shackle him to the center of the ring and say, I dare you to, to work a match in the ring. Yeah. One thing that was cool though, is that William Regal, uh, apparently has kicked Moxley to the side. He's joining MJF. I think that's a solid move. Uh, 
not that MJF really needed him, uh, but to that extent, I mean, it. I wouldn't say that necessarily just because you're a good talker, you don't need somebody to back you up like a manager. And well, Regal Flair and Heenan, or Flair and and Hennig, uh, uh, um, you know that yeah. that combination can work very well, also. Oh yeah, you you become uh, not the mouthpiece, but part of the team. Well, CM and... Punk and Paul Heyman. Punk didn't anybody do his talking for him, oh, although yeah. at times he probably should have had people do his talking for him, like at some press scrums. Um, but it worked out great with him and Heyman. Yeah, I think, uh, and William Regal gives MJF a lot of credibility. Not that you know he's necessarily lacking that, but let's just let's face it, he is he is rather new to the game. And I think pairing him with a savvy veteran such as Sir William Stephen Regal uh, will be a Sir great Lord, Lord William Stephen Regal. Yeah, he would. Uh, he will do well in that regard. Now, is this AEW's first homegrown champion? Somebody really, you know, first had their big breakthrough in in uh, AEW, or well, we've had we've had. Jericho, we've had uh, Omega, if you want to count that. Um, we've had Moxley, but these are all guys who really established themselves elsewhere first. Yeah, I mean, unless we're going to count MLW, uh, which uh, no, 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 we're not. I mean, to be fair, a lot, a lot of guys have come out of MLW, right? But uh, no one knew who they were when they came out. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, Hence, but yeah, yes, out. I would, I would say that to the extent that they've homegrown anybody it's mjf in this right. one. Oh uh, my god i literally forgot adam page had the belt i 100 percent forgot i just looked up their their champions list i completely forgot he actually was the champion so he would be the first homegrown one i guess then because where was he before Oh, oh, well, Hangman, I would say, no, he was, he was big before uh, between Where? Ring of Honor, New Japan, All Japan. Oh, the promotion had been dead for five years? Yeah. He, he started? Okay. Well, I mean, he was an EVP. He was one, yeah, he was at Young Bucks to that extent, but, but Young Bucks had been on TNA, but. They've been on <laughs> TNA, on. but they've, they've been now. big in Japan as had Omega. I'm counting Japan uh, because, I mean. If you're a Japanese or you work primarily in Japan and I have heard of you, I'm going to say that that's making your mark there first because I couldn't tell you most of those folks. Uh, well, but Omega, so, I knew. Young Bucks, I knew um, based on previous efforts. But I, I didn't know who Adam Page was until AEW got going, and I've since forgotten about him. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah it, it's – he was uh yeah he, he he made quite a name for himself in the indies and on, on that mjf had nothing uh okay. by comparison i had not heard about him until he came to AD, aew mm. uh, but uh where was he independent okay so ring of honor yeah he was ring of honor and he was also new japan i believe um but he was really starting to catch fire whenever he came. They came over to AEW, or okay. excuse me, Meltzer was really talking a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Um, that we point. said he was with the Young Bucks. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, I'm sort of I'm interested to see where where this is going to take us, and uh, hopefully, 
they don't screw it up by turning him babyface. I don't think I don't think you're going to do that with William Regal um, because he's well. Much... Clearly, the finish there was designed to make uh, MJF or keep him a, a heel um, yeah. with the power of the punch being bestowed upon yeah. him. I'll tell you another match that I surprisingly enjoyed: uh, mm-hmm. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus Steel Cage. Did he uh, miss that table? I, like from the angle I saw, I've only seen highlights. I haven't seen the whole thing, but it looked like Jungle Boy jumped off the top of the cage, uh, ostensibly onto Luchasaurus on the table, but it looked like he completely missed the table. And not maybe com- hit it with his not com- Not completely. Uh, okay. But, it, you know, that was... Didn't catch like it flush, though. One spot, but I thought that the ending was pretty well, and it's actually the, the way that the ending was sort of choreographed actually lends itself to hey, maybe this little guy can tap this monster out. And that's exactly what he did. Oh, is he um, t- tapped him out? Okay. Yeah, tapped him out. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I really got to tip my hat to him. I thought that, that was pretty good, especially considering how young uh, Jungle Boy is. Sure. Um, so we're you know 25 years old. <laughs> this guy should be – we'll just say that he should be down in the Indies getting getting better, but he's, uh, he's done pretty well. You could argue that. he is. Yeah. Um, what would you give to go back to 25 years old? Uh, well, it depends on what you want. <laughs> I don't know, man. 25. I was broke. <laughs> well, I am now. But not much has changed. <laughs> well, I'm broke, but I got nicer stuff. There you go. <laughs> you're better. You're better broke. Exactly. Exactly. And I got a much bigger place to live and store all my stuff but uh or or you know if it's so long as it's my stuff it's stuff but it's somebody else's stuff it's shit if you uh agree with george carlin on that everyone else's stuff is shit yours is stuff and uh but anyways no i I thought that uh overall top to bottom and and that's the thing about aew is that their pay-per-views generally are pretty good uh i don't know what happens on (laughs) on dynamite and rampage well you gotta do those every week pay-per-views are only doing quarterly right but, yeah so yeah. that that probably is your answer right there but their uh, their pay-per-views are generally pretty good I, i'd never had one that i felt like was a waste how'd the uh scrum go any big news out of the scrum i didn't hear anything about it so it must have been all right <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it was completely worth doing <laughs> yeah sounds like uh yeah yeah, we'll just we'll just move on from that because there's really nothing to say, unless somebody unless somebody got bitch slapped in the back. I don't even want to hear about it. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, because now what's the bar set at for all future press scrums if it doesn't divide the company in half and you know divest you of your biggest star and uh, suspend several vice presidents of the company? Is, did you really even have a press press scrum at that point? Yeah, I think the that point? in the future they might just want to do these press scrums by uh, Zoom, or and, and when somebody start or, or not at all. But if you insist on doing them, do them on Zoom so you can mute somebody when they go too far, um, or kick them out entirely. But yeah, but he wouldn't have. He being Tony, I don't think knew to do that because he didn't, he didn't try to stop. But anyway, that's a whole different rabbit hole here. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we've got a whole episode on that, uh, all out fallout scrum. Yes. 
And so if you want to go, go back into the archives and check it out. But anyways, with our subscription service, which doesn't exist. Anyways, JD, our plan today is to get extreme. We're talking about the November to remember ECW's November to remember 1997, which took place. And it took place November 30th, 1997 in the golden dome, Monica, Pennsylvania, just up the road from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. This is obviously the largest crowd that ECW has had to date in 1997. Yeah. Well, How fourth, many pay-per-views have they had? This is our second or third this, uh, this is in their first year of pay-per-views. This is their right. third one. Okay. And so this is barely a, legal was also in 97. Absolutely. And we, yeah. we want to get in that. We want to get extreme. We want to understand this, but before we do that, we got to talk smart. Well, well, this dovetails uh, fairly nicely with the former Eastern championship wrestling uh, <clears throat> has gone extreme as their uh, entrance music would, would have it. Uh, oh, we need to talk about before I forget about it, the people that came out to various songs in ECW and the, really crappy sound alikes that are on peacock um so anyway yeah so today's talking smart the term is hot shotting okay so what does hot shotting mean well it can mean to rush a feud before it's really ready to go um you know if you say you have wrestler a and wrestler b and you want them to uh eventually confront each other well there's a couple different ways you could do it you could you know, just put them in a match on Raw or whatever show you may have, Dynamite, um, unannounced, unplanned, whatever. That is kind of leaving money on the table, and that's hot shotting. The, the idea behind it is a lot of times you will try to spike a rating or sell tickets back in the pre-television days um, by advertising a match. It's like, whoa, it's kind of, maybe it's kind of a cold match, but they're two big stars. This is great. You know, we can do it one time. Um, and the downside to it is once you've done it, there's really nowhere to go. And the reason I I say that this dovetails nicely with ECW is ECW to a lot of its detractors, critics, whatever you want to call them was seen as hot shotting the business in general. So you, you know, if you're familiar with all the ECW, the extreme, you know, portion of it, Tables, chairs, ladders, barbed wire, kendo sticks. Uh, did they get as far as light tubes, or is that a more recent innovation? No, Japanese that's a, death matches that's a, into what? Not until garbage championship wrestling comes around. Yeah, garbage championship wrestling obviously is huge, but they didn't well, pioneer it. That was well, honestly, Japan. it was probably was in Japan too. Well, it was probably pioneered honestly in a forty-year-old virgin, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, like, seemed rather the, painless uh, there. What was the uh, the was it wasn't beyond the mat? What was the uh, documentary that Necro Butcher was on? Because they were doing it at least that far back. Um, oh, um, card subject to change. That could be it. Yeah, that sounds right. Because so it's, anyway, it's got Trent Acid in it. Yes, Trent. A- yeah, and but yeah, shortly before he died. Yeah, yeah, he died, he died during the making of it. Right. Yeah, card subject to change. Let me see when that was. So anyway, the light tube thing is bit two thousand six. So the light team thing's been around for a while. And I think, like I said, I, to my knowledge, that was really kind of pioneered in Japan, but we're getting off target. Um, but basically, ECW was criticized for, okay, you've done this. You've had New Jack 
and Vic Grimes fall off a scaffold, you know, 25 feet onto, uh, you know, a pile of tables and chairs. Where do you go from there? And inevitably, it kind of, well, their financial problems caught up to them before their hot shotting really did. I mean, they, they did get on TV, but they had to kind of back away from the extreme uh, gratuity uh, of violence and, and that sort of thing. And, and so Vince, I believe, told Paul Heyman, you, you have made yourself a, a servant to this hardcore master, and it's going to kill you. I don't know what exactly the phrasing was, but that's, you know, where we're, what, what the idea was behind it. So anyway, hot shotting is just running through stuff just to run through stuff to get a, to pop a short term gain, whether that be in ratings or ticket revenue. But then it kind of ultimately leaves you uh, high and dry with nowhere else to go. The Welch slash Fuller family back in the territory days was known to do this. They, they would hot shot a territory, get the gates way up, get them, you know, the, the ticket sales way up so it looked really attractive, sell the territory, then leave, and then everything you could do had already been done. So the new owners couldn't think of anything new to do, and the territory would go down, and sometimes the, Wool- the Fullers and Welches would come buy it back at a reduced rate. Uh, and uh, allegedly they did this a number of times. So long story short, that is hot shotting, and that is today's Talking Smart. You know, when somebody buys a territory, what exactly are they buying? I think in the day, my best guess is they are buying the NWA affiliation. Because basically, you know, we've talked about this, I think, a little bit, touched on, we can touch on again in the future. Back in the pre-national television days, um, you know, before cable, uh, back when you had local markets, and basically you're, you're outside of primetime hours, you're... Um, TV shows were all locally produced. The NWA was a, co- a collective, a cartel, whatever you want to call it, um, that sort of ran wrestling regionally. So in here in Georgia, there would be a promoter that had a, a territory. They had championship wrestling from Florida nearby here, and that, that was their territory for the NWA. Um, anybody else that ran in those areas were considered, quote-unquote, outlaw promotions, and Really, the only effect of that is if that happened, the other NWA members would send talent to their fellow NWA member to drive the outlaw promotion out of business. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes they didn't back the NWA guy, they backed the outlaw. So my perception of it is back at that time, that's really what you were buying, the sort of recognition by the NWA. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. You're buying air. Really, you're buying you know, you, anybody that pays a TV station can broadcast a show if they want to. Well, I mean, theoretically, they could just come into a town with their assuming that they have a TV deal. If they do have a TV deal, they just come right in. They set up, they do it. And I mean, do you really need to buy that territory from them? If you if you are successful to that point, case in point, Angelo Poffo. Right. ICW. He, it, it, by you know, by every standard, that was an outlaw promotion, but he sure. did not have to go in and pay anybody any money uh, for that. And eventually, obviously, it went down, but, you know, there for several years, it was successful. Uh, yeah. He, he'd been going against the Grams and, and all those guys. I mean, well, I mean, it's not illegal. I mean, you can't, they, no. no one can stop you from doing it. The only way to quote unquote stop you is, as I said, have the NWA send you know, Ric Flair and, uh, you know, the Von Erics and, you know, <laughs> and Dusty and all these guys into your, into that territory to run shows 
on the same night the Outlaw Show is running, so nobody goes to it, right? Everybody's going to go see Dusty and Flair and Magnum and whomever else, the Funks. Um, that's the way it would work in terms of combating an Outlaw promotion. But like you said, I mean, anybody that wants to can run a show. If you can get a building and a ring and some guys on the roster, on the card, you go after it. So the only repercussion really would be the NWA fighting back. Um, and so, and to your point, Angelo Poffo living up to his gimmick of the miser squeezed every penny he could and survived for a long, long time. It may have also helped. I don't know how tightly affiliated the Memphis group, Jerry Jarrett's territory was with the NWA because he was kind of a, a wild card in and of himself because he had that territory pretty well locked down. For a while, he was sort of affiliated with the NWA. For a while, he was sort of affiliated with the AWA. For a while, he was sort of affiliated with, you know, world class. So there was sort of some shifting alliances there that, you know, maybe Papa was able to slip through the cracks a little bit. I'll tell you what, that that Tales from the Territory on Memphis, just absolutely great. Love that. Oh, it's tremendous. Um, and, and I do encourage everybody to get out there and watch that. It's on Vice. But not to get too bogged down in, in things like that. That can be a little dense. Um, that's fascinating, but yeah, that, that yeah, there's a lot to get into. It can it can be a little dense. You can go down that rabbit hole and talk for oh, four so hours. Because it's a uh, yeah. I, I just to sum it up, I ne- I never really understood exactly what you're buying if you buy into a territory. Right. Um, yeah. I just Which I, yeah exactly. I mean, in a way, nothing, but. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, if you think you can withstand the onslaught of the NWA, then go ahead and do it. And Vern was able to do it. I mean, Vince McMahon Sr. was te- – te- well, I say senior. He wasn't a senior. Vincent uh, J. McMahon was, was technically a member of the NWA, but he ran his own promotion and didn't – I don't think he voted on the champion. Like the rest of the uh, NWA. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he had a vote he, on that, but he was technically a member. I don't think he cared. It didn't, it didn't affect his business. He had his own team. Stay out of New York. That's all That's all that, he had to stay do. Stay out of New York. I'll give you a couple of weeks on Andre. Exactly. But uh, anyways, so back to our main event of the evening. This is the November to remember that took place on November 30th, 1997. This was billed as the largest crowd that extreme championship wrestling has ever had to date want to give a guess as to how many were in attendance since i'm looking at the number i don't think it'd be fair of me to guess uh, but i will ask how much of this number was papered the so there was four so we had a total it was a sellout crowd of 4634 with 4,218 paying. Uh, they, what, say that last so number again? 4,218. That's fantastic. For that's ECW. Paper. For ECW, that's excellent. That, yeah, uh, that's so the gate, the gate was $103,900. And they had another $43,930 in merchandise. So all uh, told, they only lost about sixty thousand dollars on this show. That's well, cool. no, this is pay per view now. No. Yeah, that's true. That so they they made money on this. They, I don't point. know how I don't now know that, how much, but well, they that made money's money. gonna, not going to come back, come in for a while. Yeah, they're not the going to see it until they're bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this is uh, after obviously happened to you, Heyman. 
this is obviously on paper. This is the most successful pay-per-view they've ever had uh, to this point. And I don't know that they... Yes, creatively. Yeah, it's a high. So of the three, uh, Mez Meltzer would say, of the three ECW pay-per-views to date, this would have to rank in the middle as far as a show. Uh, it's nowhere near the quality of Barely Illegal. It was in April. Right. And uh, it's not as Which bad was as tremendous. It's yeah, it's generally considered to be one of their best ones, and it was superior to Hardcore Heaven in August, uh, which is considered to be some of the worst. Yep. Um, so the general feeling is that its audience, uh, at this point in time, as far as the ECW audience, it's the outlaw promotion. They can do no wrong. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's a bad match, a good match. They're going to let you know. And, uh, that is one thing that made ECW so unique was the, man, you talk about smarks and, oh man, <laughs> it's back when every, you had to spend real effort to be a smart, every freaking one of them almost, I mean, there was barely internet, but there was no YouTube. There was no, you know, yeah. readily accessible. There was no, there, what's the new, new Japan streaming. There was no streaming at all. And, um, there are really at this point, there are really no passing fans of ECW. Right. Uh, you are either all in in or you're not. Uh, and that, and that could really describe a lot of the crowd. The crowd is either going to be really smart to the business or have absolutely no idea. And they're there with their boyfriend or girlfriend or both. They're taking both. They're hardcore. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you also have to look at where you know, DCW's primary geographic footprint. Yes, they would expand and do shows even down here uh, into Georgia, uh, but their primary markets were really from Baltimore up to New York and then out to, you know, basically Pittsburgh, uh, that kind of northeast. The tri-state the area right yeah. there. It, so primarily. New York, New Jersey, and, and Pennsylvania, but again, Maryland as well with, with Baltimore. And obviously Philadelphia is known as the home of ECW. Well, that's where their week, weekly television show was produced at the quote unquote ECW arena, actually like an annex to a Catholic church or something that played bingo, that hosted bingo tournaments every yeah, other week. It is like still that. standing today, JD. Yeah, can, look at that. You can go up there and call it 64. <laughs> no, the stadium. If you want to call yeah. it, it's an arena, well, I mean, and, and this is back also. Yes, they were on pay per view, but they weren't on widely distributed television. I remember around this time is when I really started to hear about ECW 97, 98. Um, and where I lived in South Georgia, where you lived as well, it was on at like two in the morning on Saturdays sometimes. Yeah. UPN. And it would be like six, from six months prior, but you had no way of knowing that because there was no way to see the most recent product you know i remember it coming on upn after the second showing of smackdown so the see, second even before that i think that I'm, I'm thinking of yeah I, it would come on it would it would come on upn smackdown started 98 99 something like that but but it would also run twice in the same night one right it just they, they'd run another show and then SmackDown would come back on at midnight, and then that would run till you know one two o'clock in the morning, and then that's when <laughs> ECW would show up. Yeah. So, so yeah, you had to make a significant effort, which I was not 
capable or allowed to make most of the time. Uh, I remember renting the Rob Van Dam videotape uh, around around that 99 era that you're talking about because um, he already had the TV title at that point during his uh, 23-month run with the yes. TV title, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Before uh, he got hurt. A lot of people don't realize he was not ECW champion until ECW Never. came to yeah. WWE. Well, not the real ECW. Yeah, he was WWE ECW champion. Um, at the same time, he was WWE champion as well. You got some overlap there. But he was also the highest paid guy uh, there towards the end. And it's, it's just. Well, because he was the hottest. For, uh, he, of everyone, he had not really been. Yes, he had done, you know, a few dark matches or jobs here, or there, and yon on WWF, WCW television, but he had never really been on their main roster. So he was of all the guys in ECW, he was the one that was really fresh talent and um, desirable yeah. talent. I mean, you know, Sandman went to WCW, that didn't go great. Raven <clears throat> went to WCW, went a little bit better, still not as good as it could have been. Um, you know, same thing with, you know, Stevie Richards, Mike Awesome, you know, all these guys. Yeah. Taz, of course, to WWF. Yeah, it was still at the time. Well, and JD, perhaps some of the reason that these matches by and large did not live up to the hype, uh, was because of the injury toll of the people coming in, yeah, uh, and, and, and leaving, uh, a lot of people got hurt. <laughs> and so uh, Tom, watch these matches and you will not be surprised by that. So uh, spoiler alert, the match that, uh, Tommy Rogers has with Chris Candido, Tommy Rogers actually breaks his neck uh early in the match does he? Uh, he he injures his neck he had to undergo uh i think it's called a myelogram it's uh shooting a large needle into his spine Eesh. uh tommy dreamer and he even talks about it. You, you look at it he's wearing a boot and, and uh, mm. he injured his good ankle <laughs> because he spent so long favoring the bad one early in the match with uh, rvd and was i mean do you watch the match i mean dude could barely move that was brutal. Uh, and well, they, there's a lot of Gaga. Well, there's a lot of Gaga in any given ECW match, but there's a lot of that in that one particularly. We've got a lot of ref bumps. We've got um, the second thong shot of the night um, with uh, Beulah. Um, just a heck of a lot going on there. And then the two matches kind of meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the RVD Dreamer match and the Sandman Sabu match. Just like one of them starts and while the other one feels like it's still happening. Um, so yeah, <laughs> quite, quite a bit of activity there in the, uh, in, in the latter stages of the show before we get to the actual main event, the franchise Shane Douglas versus uh, ECW world heavyweight champion, Bam Bam Bigelow, the beast from the East from Asbury park, New Jersey. Yeah. And so, I mean, even Sandman, uh, of course he comes into the match drunk. And yeah, he uh he came into this world drunk. He uh, it's the demolition derby match. That we... <laughs> yeah, for those of you unfamiliar with Sandman, if you're if you know if you know who Stone Cold Steve Austin is, imagine that but drunker and with a stick in his hand, uh, because that's a lot. I'm not going to say that Steve Austin ripped it off from Sandman. That's not true. He um adapted it from Sandman's president. He, he borrowed a lot of those elements, but then made them completely his own 
and, and so they became a very separate thing but the drinking beer down at the ring and you know ambivalence towards the fans and this that and the other a lot of that is is very sandman-esque and even ddp in his way stole some stuff or so excuse me researched some stuff from from sandman entering through the crowd a lot of the time you know yep. that, that sort of thing sandman i don't think he necessarily gets the respect he deserves as an innovator uh all due respect to tommy dreamer the innovator of violence uh coming i mean you talk about a pop with that inner sandman hit because also we should we should address as i kind of talked about it in um talking smart briefly uh ecw gave no f's about copyright protection um they were their wrestlers were coming out to real songs unlicensed songs for the most part but you had sandman which obviously inner sandman you had uh, uh taz came out to war machine by kiss you had um Tommy Dreamer with Man in the Box. Balls, Balls Mahoney comes out to I Got Big Balls. I Got Big Balls. ACDC, right? Yeah. ACDC. Yeah, and then um, Pantera Walk was um, RDD. But yeah, long story short, nobody nobody cared. And yeah, honestly, well, they until they got on pay per view, nobody cared. Well, the the bands really didn't care because they they didn't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't know who heard them. And if nobody's listening, nobody's watching. Nobody knows. You do it if you, if you don't get caught. And that's very much what was happening. That, that was a lot of ECW is it's legal if you don't get caught. Um, so, yeah. And Shane Douglas actually is uh, after this match, he, he had some bone spurs in his elbow to start with uh, in the match. He hurt it even worse. And so he's got a uh, elbow surgery that he has to get uh, as soon as this is over. And Bigelow also destroyed his arm. Uh, <laughs> so we're, yeah, just a lot of I, I won't I won't I hate to say that anybody's being careless here, but definitely some some perhaps goof, less than careful. Some goofs happened. How about that? Oh, done goofed. And yeah, in ECW, uh, known for a little bit of goofing, just new boot goofing. You know, every once in a while. Um, I don't think anyone intent. Okay. Outside of New Jack, I don't think anyone's intentionally trying to hurt anybody. But not to not. <laughs> no, no, not this. No, he, as part of the uh, was the gangstonators, uh, he was not not trying that this time. But it, there are not there have been other times when you could not make that claim that he. There are other times he was intentionally trying to hurt. Me. Yeah. So going into this, the main rivalry. Uh, i.e. the main event is going to be bam bam bigelow versus shane douglas for the ecw world heavyweight championship uh as a primer for that rick rude uh had been uh, actually stalking douglas and francine mm -hmm. uh since early 1997 and he warned douglas that he had been training a wrestler to take the title from douglas and on the october 24th episode of hardcore tv uh, rude revealed douglas's own triple threat teammate uh, teammate excuse me uh bam bam bigelow as his hand-picked man who turned on triple threat and proceeded to defeat douglas for the world heavyweight championship uh, bigelow defeated douglas to retain the title at ultimate jeopardy and then another rematch was signed between the two for the title here at november to remember uh this was uh around about the same time that uh poor spike dudley gets thrown into the crowd by uh bam bam bigelow which they make sure to show you in a, in a video here a it is video. i tell you what is just visually it's just 
That's a long way. He chucks him about 10 feet. That's a good 10 lane. feet. Uh, yeah, to give you it's an crazy. For those of you that don't know, Spike Dudley is probably 110 pounds soaking wet, yeah. and Bam Bam's every bit of 400. A four or 450, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah he's a big man, old Just a massive He's dude. a big old boy. He press slams this guy and throws him 10 yards into the crowd. If you've seen Major Payne, he's the biker guy that uh, that Major Payne you know beats up. Um, it, so yeah. if you're a non wrestling fan, first of all, why are you watching the or listening to this podcast? Secondly, uh, if you've seen Major Payne, that's who Bam Bam did all of this. Yeah. So yeah, our... I, and, and you may be asking yourself, sorry, Brian, uh, Brian, didn't mean to cut you off there, but you may be asking yourself, Rick Rude, I thought he was a WC or a WWF talent. Well, remember where we are. This is November thirtieth. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, the Montreal screw job takes place November 9th, 1997. So we are three weeks outside of the Montreal screw job and the ripples in that pond just keep on going because lo and behold, here is Rick Rude um, making a brief appearance in, in ECW. Yeah. So what uh, started out as a single match, as far as our first match of the night is concerned, but turned into a tag match, uh, Chris Candido and Lance Storm uh, beat Tommy Rogers and Jerry Lynn in 1642. You talk about literally the four best wrestlers backstage. Uh, On the card, yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe you can make a, argument for shane or rvd or something like that but as far well, as maybe like, not on this night because shane's uh injury coming in yeah but this is uh these are guys that are um well known for training wrestlers mm-hmm. uh as far as uh, particularly jerry lynn uh chris candido and lance storm i don't uh, I, I think tommy rogers did as well tommy rogers and, may have he was um really really hot about 10 years prior to this as part of the fantastics tag team back in the old territory days with um oh come on um I'm gonna, i gotta look it up it's gonna make me mad who's the other guy in the fan bobby fulton bobby fulton i didn't have to look it up i remembered it never mind um so yeah a very established um territory worker as part of a tag team here this starts off as a singles match between chris candido former I want to, I must stress this former NWA world heavyweight champion, Chris Candido, uh, more perhaps more known for uh, being in the WWF as part of the body, body Donnas with Dr. Tom Pritchard. And of course the irrepressible Sonny, well, she's being repressed now, but at this time she was not repressed at all. Um, So she of course, has, has a very tragic story that has ended up with her uh, costing a man his life and that she is now uh, awaiting trial or she... she the waiting trial for vehicular, vehicular, vehicular homicide. homicide. Yeah. Very, very sad story all the way around. Um, but that's not the point of this. Um, starts off with a match between those two. As um, Ryan pointed out earlier, Tommy hurts his neck uh, in the early going here. And then Lance Storm and his blonde rat tail and Jerry Lynn, a very young-looking Jerry Lynn. I was like, oh, my God, is that who I think it is? So, Because he continued to wrestle up until the last five years. Did Jerry yeah. Lynn? I mean, he wrestled for a long time after this. I think Amazing he, was, I think he was in that AEW Battle Royal that they had with uh, – I remember Glacier being in it and yeah. several several of the old 
course, I mean, Gla- Gla- Glacier's, Glacier, of course, is newer than Jerry Lynn, but um, right. A lot of yeah, the, and he's he's still guys. a backstage um, coach or whatever they call him at, at AEW, is he not, Jerry Lynn? Uh, I don't know if Jerry Lynn is. I th- well, yeah, he is. He was, he is. yeah, yeah. And uh, Glacier's actually working at uh, Cody Rhodes's school in Atlanta. Oh, good. So good for Ray. But yeah, um, yeah, I thought that this was actually probably the best car- best match of the night uh you you know candido comes out here gosh he looks jacked to the gills mm-hmm. uh, he's a little you know, wolverine because he's like five foot two and 230 pounds of muscle yeah this is the body donna's i mean of course he's you know i don't think he's in the body donna's he wasn't as big as he was in this one uh well, no but he i mean just excellent shape uh and when Candido came off the top rope of the leg drop, announcer Joey Styles made an inside reference, calling it a Spring Lake Jam, uh, which is Candido's hometown. Mm-hmm. And the the joke being t- Brian Christopher at the time had a finisher called the Tennessee Jam. Brian Christopher, of course, is Jerry Lawler's uh, son. Rest in peace. And um, to Brian Christopher, not Jerry. Jerry's still around. Yeah, Jerry's still here. Uh, Rogers got a near fall with a superplex off the top rope, and I, I enjoyed the superplex there. I, I like it better from a second rope. It looks real when you do it from second rope. Third, mm. third is very choreographed to me. Cooperative, yeah. And uh, Candido uh, pulls off a, a good Frankensteiner off the top rope for a near fall. I uh, then went for a flying Frankensteiner coming off the top rope, Oof. but but. Uh, Rogers dropped back and power bombed him. That was a pretty solid spot right there. Oh, like it hurt like hell. And uh, so at that point, that, that may actually be where he broke his neck. Uh, yeah, it could have been. But uh, at this point, and, and I'm wondering if they always intended on doing a tag match here or somebody got word to the back that, hey, Tommy hurt his neck. We need somebody to come in here and, you know, maybe cover, help cover, help out. And, um, so storm does a run in and nails Rogers with a spin kick and the two, uh, double team Rogers for too long. Apparently there was a mess up backstage in regard to the timing. And then, uh, Lynn made the save and referee John Finnegan. Um, uh, that's a name that I have not said in a long, long time, uh, saying that this was turning into a tag match, which yeah. And on the Peacock replay here. Um, it kind of weirdly there this happens a few times where it just kind of goes to black and then pops back in and yeah. we just see the referee say announcing it's going to be a tag match so it threw me off uh, the first time yeah. i watched it through here yeah by the time it turns into a tag match it starts getting sloppy mm-hmm. uh, which is why i'm thinking this wasn't always the plan uh, yeah it could be but i mean thankfully and, and again this has to be seen to be believed so if you have uh the peacock app please Whip it out and uh, and check out um, the November to remember from 1997. And to, if for no other reason, to see uh, Lance Storm's immaculate blonde rat tail. I mean, it's almost like halfway to a mullet. It's a thick rat tail. <laughs> and I want to remind you, uh, listeners, this is in 1997. No he business has, for anyone to have a rat tail in 1997. He has been growing it since birth. Apparently, yeah, this might have been his umbilical cord. This switch, switch, switch it around the back. Um, 
Another thing I want to point out, I mentioned Beulah's thong shot earlier. Uh, when Tom, I think it was Tommy Rogers got uh, Candido in a roll-up. He cinched the tights, but he cinched it a little too much. Yeah. Brought him halfway down, uh, halfway up uh, Candido's thighs. So yeah. the uh, fortunately not the hard camera side. The other corner of the ring got a pretty good eyeful of Mr. Candido. Well, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they actually did pixelate some of that at the uh it was a lot there was a lot happening there yeah but uh anyways everybody got a free show yeah worth the price of admission right there there you go they 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 got a can of candido and uh candid indeed it was a candid candido can and ha 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 but uh and we gotta uh, also mention candido unfortunately died uh far far too young and one of the most well-liked i feel like wrestlers backstage that oh yeah i you never hear well you hear one thing bad about him and i don't know it depends on your perspective if if it's even bad but and we won't necessarily go to that here it's fairly lurid um <clears throat> but everyone just speaks of what a great guy he was and um you know generous and helpful and just loved love 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 wrestling um so you know rest in peace to, to Chris Candido and in fact uh Tommy Rogers as well shuffled off this mortal coil in 2015. Yeah. So Candido tries his uh blonde bombshell, which is the power bomb off the top rope on Lynn. But uh Rogers made the save and Rogers then hit his Tamakaze. It's a backslide uh dropped into almost a pile driver and kind of uh, the reverse of a Japanese gory a special bomb according to uh, Meltzer. So yeah, whatever, I don't know that I would put all that in there. Whatever yeah. the hell that is, it just you know, it's, it's, an, is. it's an inverted pile driver. <laughs> How about that? And uh, so he sets him down on his feet. No, that's coming off. It's a backslide inverted pile. It's weird. It's, yeah, it was odd. I didn't know what to call it. It's apparently it's called a tamakaze. It's a it's a, it's, it's an interesting move. I, I don't I don't think I would ever in a million years want to take it. Um, no, not not even. There's not enough. I'm not taking. We're getting the next match. I'm not taking a whippersnapper. Forget uh-uh. that. Mm. That goes poorly very quickly. <laughs> that, but for uh, Candido, actually, finally gets the pin on Rogers with the Northern Light Suplex. Also, a very scary move to take. And um, I thought it was a pretty good opener. Meltzer gives it two and three quarter. I give it three stars. Um, I thought it was very enjoyable. Uh, I'll give it a thumbs up. It's like they beat the hell out of each other. So I, <laughs> I respect that. It's ECW, so they did. Yeah. So up next, we got Mr. Whipwreck and Mr. Credible. JD, take it away. Yeah, uh, just incredible, as you may recall, uh, as the uh, Portuguese man of war. Um, Aldo Montoya in, in WWE or WF prior to this. Hopefully you don't remember that, but he would go on to become half of the impact players uh, with, with the aforementioned Lance Storm. Um, well, at this point, he's riding a win streak, an undefeated streak, in fact, into ECW. And uh, this starts a program with Mikey Whipwreck. And Mikey Whipwreck, that takes some unpacking as well. Uh, I don't want to say he's a joke character, although he's a joke character. Um, Mikey Whipwreck is just a guy, a young kid. I think, I think they point out here, Joey Salas points out both of these guys are like 23 years old at this point. 
which one of them looks like a grown man and one of them doesn't. Yeah, Whiprick is uh, Whiprick's an ECW original, right? Oh yeah, no, he's, he's, I don't he started. Think he ever, yeah, well, because he, he was on the ring crew in ECW, as the story goes. Yeah, and so basically, he would help set up and take down the ring uh, for free as long as he could, you know, do some jobs basically in, in ECW. And so they gave him the duty of putting people over uh, as a loser, a perennial loser in matches. And, you know, he never, at one point, you know, Joey Siles talked about he never landed an offensive maneuver, never landed a punch, a kick or anything. He winds up winning the ECW tag titles with Cactus Jack as part of a uh, title exchange, uh, which, um, excuse me, a talent exchange in, in a lawsuit with WCW at the time anyway just uh mikey Whipper actually go on to be an ecw champion later in the run but the whole point with him is he is constantly in over his head and for a while there he had a, um, a gimmick of accidentally winning matches like the the opponent would knock themselves out and he'd fall on top of them and pin them or you know just convoluted crap that's not exactly what happens here but it's um that, this is a little bit after that Justin Crabble, as I said, comes in undefeated. Um, he has not looked the best uh, in his WWE run. He was treated as a preliminary job guy, pretty much. Um, and the, the fans, as we pointed out, are all smart fans. They know exactly who this guy is, despite the fact that Alden Montoya wore a mask. They know it's him. Um, they do their best here. You know, they work really hard. It's it's. The, if the crowd's not into it, it's hard. You're ice skating uphill. And after that last match, the crowd's kind of blown out for this one for two people that don't really care about that much. Although, yeah, they do have some love for Whipwreck. Uh, as we talked about, uh, the Whippersnapper is the end of the match here um, at, seven, at seven minutes and 15 seconds into the, into the match. And that's basically, if you can envision a, a Stone Cold Stunner kind of coming off the top rope, like PJ or PJ, that's his name. Um, just incredible is standing on the top rope. Mikey is sort of positioned underneath him in a stunner position from the second rope. He jumps out and stuns him. As you can see, um, Credible kind of takes it uh, on his feet. It's a weird way to try and take that bump. I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe without seeing it, but uh, that does allow um, Mikey to get the pin here, ending the winning streak of just incredible. And I don't think he was using this tagline at the time, but he would go on to uh, call himself not just the greatest, not just the best, but he is just incredible. Um, and now this is the one, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Jason, the sexiest man on the planet, uh, seconds um, credible here. Does he not Ryan? I believe he does. Yeah. So Back in college, I had a roommate called Jason, and, and that's what, you know, that was his, that was one of his many nicknames, uh, the sexiest man on earth. And also had a roommate named Joel, and we'll get to that in a few minutes with the quintessential stud muffin. Uh, <laughs> so, Jason and Joel, if you're listening, which you're not, um, <laughs> I'm going to drop your name, I'm going to name drop you right here on the podcast. Well, now, now you can reach out to him and be like, hey, listen, I talk about you. I'm, I'm in no contact with Jason, but I'm still Facebook buddies with Joel. We talk on occasion. So, uh, or Joel, yeah. So Joel um, actually commented or liked a post recently. So I'll, I'll get him in on here on this. He'll probably have, I know he'll have some recommendations and requests for us. Good deal. 
Well, yeah. So Justin Credible was actually one of these guys. He really had to earn the ECW fans' respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, because he comes in, he's got all kind of heat from being Aldo Montoya. Uh, well, to be fair, that was dumb. Well, yeah, but not, not necessarily his fault. I but, know. but uh, yeah. So they're. This is, uh, I, I probably, the ECW crowd is probably one of the earliest um, form of uh, trolls in terms well, of. Well, Philadelphia uh, in general are, are the earliest form. Of, I mean, they booed Santa Claus and throw things at people. Yeah, but I don't think that it, prior to ECW, that it was ever so widely accepted. Uh, you, you would hear that sometimes on wcw sometimes on wwf but this is all you know 800 people <laughs> in the crowd they're they're chant chanting you know you fucked up or any you know something like that and they're definitely all chanting ecw uh, oh yeah so it it's uh yeah they're they're one of the earliest uh i would say one of the earliest forms of trolling and uh at least from the uh, from the wrestler's perspective, but uh, I I gave the match two stars. Meltzer gives it a star and three quarters. I thought it was pretty good. It, it wasn't all that long, uh, but uh, you know the the was it going to be the whippersnapper is a a pretty uh, pretty cool move to see. I, I really would have liked to seen Justin Incredible's move. I think it wasn't his a uh, it was a tombstone from the top rope. Yeah, wasn't it? it was yeah the top rope tombstone. What do you call that? Hang on. Uh, I forget, but it, it's, a, it's another one that I just do not want to take. Um, wasn't the incredible drive? What was it? Something driver, I feel like. I got I to look it up now. It's going to make me mad. And I also noticed in this one that they uh, they are throwing down plastic uh, on the floor. That's incredible. That's yeah, that, that was what it was that's called. Incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it's top rope tombstone. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just glad that. Paul decided to throw down plastic on the floor outside and instead of uh, something like, I don't know, padding. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe you don't have uh, all of your wrestlers hurt after a pay-per-view. Well, I mean, yeah. But so after this old we, school style, baby. Yeah. Speaking of old school style, you've got uh, Al Snow doing a uh, promo on this one. Uh, this is Al Snow uh, doing, he did an interview talking to, uh, what would later I assume become head mm -hmm. and that was uh, dressed up to look like him. Uh, of course, that was head has... at the time. It was still, it was still head. Yeah. So he has uh help me written uh, backwards on his head so you can see it in the mirror, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But uh, basically Al is uh, acting like Vince McMahon uh, and head is uh, Bret Hart. So he says the head screwed head. Uh, time-honored traditions of the business i gave you one free shot i took one for the boys it's uh some good insider laughs right here i think that plays over pretty well with the ecw crowd yeah they're gonna be all over this and again it's very close in time to the uh to the screw job so th this is on the tip of everyone's tongue especially in the smart crowd like in philadelphia um joey styles throws it to the back as as um saying saying also getting head in the locker room so <laughs> it's, it's, oh, well what it's does fun. everybody love yeah uh but you do get a good eye full of the blue meanie changing in the background nova uh kind of standing by there who else was in was in the locker room there there were a couple other people um the other members of the job squad well the blue world order oh the blue um, world order yeah there was no stevie, stevie i guess was stevie right there. cool 
was not there. He'll show up later in the pay-per-view, but he wasn't in the locker room at the time. Um, I'm trying to think. There was somebody else sitting right up front. I forget who it was. Anyway, not the point. Um, but, yeah, so basically he's acting like the head had snitched on him, uh, saying that he had a dislocated shoulder or something, so he got taken off of the um, run sheet for, for the – I'll take off the card for, for the pay-per-view. Like a dislocated shoulder ever stopped Paul Lee from booking anybody in ECW. So I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> well, the uh, up next we have uh, Taz versus Pitbull number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I thought you know this this match goes for a minute twenty nine, so I can't give it too high of a rating on this. But uh, for what it did, I mean, <laughs> the funny part of, about this match was that. Heyman says multiple times that this is going to be a long drawn out battle mm-hmm. and it's over in a minute 29. Yes. And, and so, so the crowd actually chanced jailbird at the pit bulls and Heyman came out to, you know, during this match, trying to sell the idea that it would be a long grueling match and thus a shock when it was so short. So, uh, Taz did a belly to belly suplex and a T bone before winning with the Taz mission. And, um, it's actually well, for a minute 29, it's actually not bad. Yeah. Um, it's a glorified squash on pay-per-view and the purpose of it seems to be, um, you know, to set up Taz for a title shot in the future. Cause he comes in and does a promo, um, you know, saying that whoever wins, he's challenging at the March pay-per-view. Uh, so, you know, not to get too comfortable with that belt, basically. So he's going to, he's calling winner between Bam Bam, excuse me, and the franchise Shane Douglas. Yeah. And I think, yeah, being what, what it was, was just a way to make him look strong and, uh, tune in next time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to that end, I thought, I thought it was very effective. I give it a star Meltzer, give it a half a star. Uh, you really can't for a minute 29 you it's not going to be ranked very highly but i for a minute 29 it's probably the best minute 29 match i've ever seen hey it's the best one minute 29 seconds you'll spend a day yeah probably not but maybe no be like double for me but anyways um, excuse me (laughs) mr iron man (laughs) right marathon man over here there you go well, they did a video feature on the uh, Douglas Bigelow angle, uh, basically uh, telling the whole story that we talked about earlier, and uh, it, it actually features poor little Stock, poor little Spike Dudley getting thrown into the uh, crowd during the and minutes. crowd surfed around. Crowd surfed yeah, around, yeah. Comes back in and still gets uh, still gets thrown around one more time before he's pinned, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I, I think uh, I wonder what Spike Dudley is doing today. That's that's one person I have not heard from. Is he about teaching English? I, I'm a, I assume he he's I assume he's doing that. Um, it's a good union job. Get some good yeah. benefits. Yeah, and hey, sign autographs. I, I just you know of all the ones that are making the rounds at Comic Cons, I never see a Spike doing this. But uh, I don't know. So uh, we got Tracy Smothers and Little Guido. Uh, up next with the tag team uh the match full-blooded italians yeah so why don't you uh why don't you take it from there jd yeah we cut back from the video to uh find uh full-blooded italian tommy rich the noted very southern italian uh tommy rich as is tracy smothers this was just kind of a 
an amalgamation of if you didn't have a gimmick, we'll throw you in the full-blooded Italians um, <laughs> uh, stable here. So we have an interesting setup. We've got uh, Tracy Smothers and Little Guido, who would later become Nunzio in WWE when they, they revived the full-blooded Italians gimmick um, as the ta ECW Tag Team Champions in a four-way uh, tag team match. So eight people total, four teams total, uh, with the Dudleys, who, of course, are represented in the tag team division by Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley, but seconded by... Sign Guy Dudley, thirded by Big Dick Dudley, and fifthed by the quintessential stud muffin Joel Gertner, who goes into a fairly uh, lengthy and, again, to use the second this word word of the day, second time lurid <laughs> preamble to the match, introducing all members of the Dudleys, with the exception of Spike. He didn't make the trip out here, um, but Sign Guy Dudley, uh, Big Dick Dudley, and your two participants, Bubba Ray and Devon. The next team, Ian and Axel, or excuse me, Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney, um, both sadly have uh, passed away at this point. But Axel and Ian Rotten had been a prior, had previously been a tag team uh, before rolling around on broken glass and cutting each other with shards of it uh, in, in a match. Which, yeah, that that's the thing that happened. Um, so anyway, they're taking on. The Gangstonators, and that takes a little bit of unpacking. There are two different teams here, okay? Uh, you've got the Gangstas, which is New Jack and Mustafa, and then later on D-Lo as well. Uh, it, it takes, you know, it shows up in the Gangstas. They get, really kind of got their first claim to fame in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, with Jim Cornette's promotion in Tennessee. And then they came to somewhere that they, let's, frank, let's be frank about it, they fit in. A lot better, I, I feel like in ECW, um, with uh, you know Mustafa was it he he smoked pencil shavings or he snort them? What was his deal? Um, I think he smoked them. He smoked, yeah, he smoked like pencil shavings. Mm -hmm. And New Jack committed various you know minor and and aggravated assaults uh, in the ring. Has a justifiable homicide on his record, um, or to his credit, however you want to look at that. Uh, very interesting, colorful guy that we lost not that long ago, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, funny, so, funny story on New Jack. Go ahead. I bought a eight by ten signed by him uh, mm -hmm. from his website while he was alive. It comes to me in a soft mailer, no protector, right? That's nothing, right. nothing like that. And it's obvious that New Jack just went to the post office got a mailer through the damn thing in there sent it to me so it comes to me and it's beat to hell yes i um i'm not gonna complain to this guy no he has your address don't do that uh because i just uh like i was pissed but at the same time i'm like yeah i'll probably just shut up because this dude will come down here and kill me yeah he knows uh, where i live and literally has nothing better to do yeah, so. So, but he was, he actually followed me on Instagram a lot and liked several of my, um, pictures. And I know it's him because he ain't paying nobody to do that. No. But, uh, and unfortunately he passed away, but that, that's my sort of new Jack story. That's your brush with fame in new Jack. So anyway, unpacking the gangstonators a little bit further. Uh, so you had the gangsters, which we've described. Then we also had, uh, the eliminators. Uh, John Cronus and Perry Saturn. Perry Saturn would go go on to 
greater fame, of course, in WCW and briefly in, in WWF, where he almost killed the guy from, um, uh, what the heck was it? Um, was it card subject to change too, or is it behind the, uh, perhaps anyway, he had a, well, he, it was on, you know, obviously there was that, uh, dark side of the ring, but it was also on, uh, beyond the mat, beyond the mat. Yeah. It was on beyond the mat. So yeah. Um, any rate, um, Perry Saturn is still around. John Cronus, unfortunately, uh, passed away some time ago. But anyway, we're taking one gangsta and one eliminator, putting them together as the gangstinators. So we've got Cronus and New Jack. So uh, they're not down here to start with. Um, they getting paid by the hour, I guess, and weren't paid enough to be here the whole time. Uh, they don't actually come in until about three minutes into it. But before that, everybody just kind of, goes into a real melee and just starts wailing on each other because you got like 12 people at ringside for no reason and it's, it gets out of hand quickly as ecw is wont to do uh, a lot of high spots and uh, and big moves being pulled out here um but it just seems like they're just going spot to spot with nothing kind of connect no connective tissue uh, Bubba would superplex balls Mahoney. And then Devon comes down for the headbutt off the top, um, as he was wont to do. Um, the gangsters, as I said, their music hits, uh, which is um, Natural Born Killer, right? Natural Born Killers um, was their interest music to to go back to the unlicensed music. Yeah, and they just played <laughs> they just played the song throughout the whole match. Yeah, yeah. Once they come out, they just don't turn the music off, which was a way to go. Um, so now, now the match proper can begin. Um, you know, New Jack famous for carrying, pushing a shopping cart full of weapons. There are a lot of people in ECW did this, but uh, in amongst them was New Jack. And so, <clears throat> New Jack apparently at some point, uh, looking for his blade, couldn't find it and was trying to find it on the floor. And then <laughs> I guess finds it and noticed Cronus doesn't have his either. So he, toss it over to Cronus. It, it's weird. Um, so everyone's getting color here. It's ECW. Everyone's bleeding. It's ridiculous. Um, Big Dick Dudley interjects himself uh, to try and moonsault, but missed completely. Gets up and then Jack gives him the old El Cabong with the guitar. Um, Cronus with the Firebird 450 splash on Big Dick, but the ref doesn't count the pin because Big Dick's not the match. Um, so one rule that ECW is going to enforce by God, only people who are in the match are in the match. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, we're not going to, we're not going to DQ them. <laughs> yeah. Well, still. So anyway, uh, so finally we, everyone's outside the ring. Bubba did, <laughs> did a running dive as you would now see on AEW dynamite onto all in sundry on the floor. Uh, Jack hits Tommy rich with the guitar, but again, rich, not in the match. Smothers and Guido are the ones that are in that are representing the full-blooded Italians here. Um, and Rich does a good job of blading, uh, as opposed to everyone else who's kind of just fiddle farting around with it. And finally, we get uh, excuse me, Cronus uh, getting hit and falling into uh, Bubba's Bubba cutter for a, a win at ten minutes and four seconds. Uh, that's the first fall of this match because it's how many how many falls is it supposed to be? I guess the best two out of three for the mm. eight people involved in the four team match. <laughs> yeah. And they've got like 10 feet of ring to work with. Yeah. I'm sorry. saying make that sentence made my head hurt. 
that's a lot. Okay, second fall. Uh, Gertner throws powder at balls, uh, but everyone thinks it's cocaine and dashes for it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like you'd have to look Was Axel in this? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's in this. So, uh, yeah, where do you think he got the powder from? Huh. Um, anyway, get some Bubba's eyes. Bubba's blinded. Uh, he was trying to uh, Bubba cut uh, somebody else, but actually gets Devon. Uh, and then Rotten crawls over Devon for the for the pin at twelve twenty seven. So, oh, it's elimination. That's what it was. Yeah. There's so much chaos here; it's hard to keep track of it. All right, so now we've got Axel and Balls versus the FBI. Whew. Rotten uh, does a reverse implant on little Guido. Smothers takes a bump from a phantom move uh, that he doesn't touch, but he sells it anyway. God bless him. Trying to maintain some sense of professionalism here. Uh, Mahoney del delivers the nutcracker suite. Um, the heel referee runs in for the count because there, there's like three ref bumps in this match, isn't there? Like they keep switching out refs, and it's as if there aren't enough people in this match. Um, come in for the count, stop to two. Balls gets kicked to the balls by the referee, which lets Guido score the pin to retain the ECW tag titles for the FBI. Whew, that's if, if it sounded convoluted as I was reading it off here and explaining it, you got to see this thing. It's more convoluted than that. Right, yeah, just entirely too many people in it. Yeah. Uh, I feel this like this is getting everybody on the car. It would have been easier to do a battle royal. I mean, I feel like this was put together by, you know, Teddy Long. <laughs> Going to have a tag team match tonight. Well, I mean, it's just. It's, a it's four put together way. by somebody who either needed a lot more Ritalin or a lot less Ritalin. I'm not sure which. Yeah, but uh, while we're talking about the uh, the full-blooded Italians here, because we know how Italian Tommy Rich is. Uh, and Tracy's mother. Notoriously from East Tennessee. I actually have a uh, an 11 by 14 that I just got. Yeah, look at signed, that. signed by Tommy at the of the last Battle of Atlanta with uh, – him and Buzz Sawyer and Precious Paul up there at the top. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Let's also put some respect on his name. That is former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Wildfire Tommy Rich. Who uh, defeated uh, Harley, Harley Race. Race. Harley yeah. Race. In Augusta, Georgia, if memory serves. In Augusta, Georgia. Uh, he's actually, if you're on YouTube looking for shoot interviews, he's one of the better ones to watch. I can, uh, I can believe that. He's, uh, he's, Hey boy, that's Tommy Rich. <laughs> yeah, go on, get fired. Get fired up, boy. Get fired up, cause we're gonna be up here at this Comic Con signing autographs everywhere. <laughs> you know we we don't live we don't live in East Tennessee. I'm from East Tennessee. We live in Myrtle Beach now, but yeah, we're gonna get fired up here at this Comic Con. <laughs> I, he I was, can just imagine he is everything you want him to be. And he was he was asked about uh. Miss uh, Hyatt. Missy and Hyatt. I don't believe I know nobody named Missy Hyatt. Because <laughs> the accusation, of course, is that. On account he, of legal count. Uh, yeah, by, by, on advice of counsel. He is accused of uh, taking her virginity when she was 16 or 17 years old. And to this day, he has said he does not know <laughs> Missy Hyatt at all. And this just has nothing to say. And he's like, all right. Well, and, uh, you know, aside from the fact that he has been busted with weed a couple of times and, um, 
<laughs> but hey, hell of a hell of a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, again, like I said, he is uh I think the phrase is refreshingly himself. Yeah. And he will get fired up, that's for sure. Yes. But uh anyway, so the next match we have on tap is the dreaded ECW banner versus WWF banner match between Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam. So in the ring introductions of uh, Bill Alfonso was introduced as senior vice president on extreme affairs for the world wrestling federation. Uh, this is kind of a spoof on Eric Bischoff's title and dreamer is in a boot, uh, a medical boot. He could barely walk uh, to the ring to begin with on one bad ankle. And uh, he actually injures his good ankle. And so he's basically immobile for this whole match. And so this is uh, similar to the Dreamer versus Jerry Lawler match that they threw on the last pay-per-view and threw in tons of booking swerves on that one as well. I want to say that Dusty showed up on that one as well. Yeah, and he did at some point. I don't remember exactly when it was. I think that that, that was that one. Uh, the difference is that Van Dam can do much more in the ring than Lawler can at this point, but Lawler's probably at this point knows how to build a match way more than Van Dam can. Which one of them is still wrestling though? Answer me that. Actually both. Is um, Van Dam still going? I know Lawler yep, is at 87,000 yep, years old. Yeah, he just had a just had an indie match, and actually they're talking about bringing him back with uh, Matt Riddle. So, that, see what did I say? <laughs> of Riddle course. is the new RVD. I told you. I've yeah. been saying this. And so, but Van Dam is, of course, is delivering all kinds of acrobatic moves, and mm-hmm. he's it's an impressive dude to watch. He is. He, he's the king of the springboard, yeah. and. <laughs> And uh, Van Dam had his eye busted open, and it appeared to be uh, really bad, actually. Yeah, and, like the referee actually goes up to check on it, pushes him away. It's like, oh, yeah. now you give a shit? Someone's bleeding, ref? Yeah. Van Dam uh, used a leg drop off the top rope for a near fall. Uh, Dreamer did a neck breaker off the ropes for a near fall. And it, co- of course, goes for that regular spot that Van Dam's going for a Van Daminator, and he just drop kicks the chair in Van Dam's face instead. Um, as uh, Dreamer was on the top rope, Alfonso hit him in the bad heel with a crutch. You know, trying to get him some heat on that. And uh, Van Dam used a somersault splash for a near fall. And they started trading spots with chairs. It, and I think a lot of this is just because Tommy Dreamer is immobile. I think he was but, doing that before he was immobile. But he's. it's also not, it, it's also very convoluted. Uh, no that and that's probably the bane of ecw's existence and as far as this pay-per-view is concerned and uh so anyways finnegan and molyneux which are the uh they got up and jones challenged both of them they're the refs of course beulah then gave jones a low blow and finnegan and molyneux gave jones a double ddt um alfonso then gave finnegan and molyneux a low blow i mean it's just yeah, and each one just Every, successively means less and less. And I, and I think that this is, again, Tommy's hurt, so they're like, we got to do something. Right. And so I, I think, that, you know, they're doing – anyways, 
but uh not only did we get a thong spot but we got an exposed breastuses uh well you don't have to look far if you would like to see Beulah McKillicuddy without her clothing oh really okay and the, inter- the internet is not uh not too far away even in this era but uh there was actually a chant of nice set at her uh, when she got up from one of the near falls uh of course the ecw crowd not knowing to be very feminist at this point in time yeah not, gender oh. equality not high on their list really but well, really not any kind of equality is well, high yeah. on any of their list uh of course we can't say any different about the wwf at this point because uh, i mean we we both saw those signs in, yeah in the crowd so very interesting uh interesting signs that i would say they didn't age well they probably weren't great at the time but uh they are you know but yeah one of the near falls actually saw a dreamer literally bounce van damme on his head delivering a pile driver uh dreamer delivered yet another ddt but this time as he went for the pin doug furnace and phil lafon show up and if you don't know who those guys are, neither do I. Join the uh, oh, neither, you know who they are. Come on. <laughs> Ernest and LaFon were on WWF program at the time. They did most of their work in Japan. Um, but uh, Doug Furness was a uh, world's strongest man competitor, uh, played at the University of Tennessee, who um, played football there, but was, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the spot where Kane – rips the cell door off or rips the cage door off in wwf that was originally done i think maybe in smoky mountain with with doug furnace hmm. and then phil lathon uh it was his tag team partner like i said i think he had a singles career in japan and they did most of their uh tag team wrestling there in japan as well but they were sort of a mid to lower tier wwf tag team at this point yeah so anyways dreamer was put on a table and buried under a wwf banner uh sabu then comes in does Which a run word because of the old logo yeah and uh he comes in uh to do a run in and acting as if he's gonna hit dreamer and he actually hit beulah instead and uh i don't think he took it easy on her so van damme had nice moves dreamer tried but you know at the end of the day what can you do you got two broken uh, or you got two injured ankles. So, uh, overbooked, uh, yeah, just didn't really care for the match that much. It, it just, the, aside from the fact that dreamer can't wrestle on this one, not that he's the best, but it's better than this. Yeah. But I mean, let's just assume for one minute that he's fully mobile way overbooked um i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a half star it's just yeah it's just not good well to your point i don't think it would have been quite so overbooked i mean it's ecw so it's gonna be a little bit overbooked um but had he not been injured they wouldn't have had to try to come up with so much stuff to put around it gaga as the expression goes so um yeah it's just not uh good and I don't think it's representative of the best efforts of, of Tommy and, and RVD here or what they are capable of uh, in, in, under better circumstances. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. So, anyways, why don't you just take this beauty of a match that we have coming up next? Well, it, like I said, it's sort of a fluid 
scenario because Sabu comes out and Sandman, they're both kind of already out during the previous match, uh, during the kerfluffle of that. Rob Van Dam stays out during a lot of this. Um, so we've got Sabu versus Sandman um, in a tables and ladders match. And Joey Styles is quick to point out, we'll probably see some chairs as well. Bear in mind, this is prior to the TLC stipulation of the WWF, WWE fame. Uh, so doing tables, ladders, and chairs is nothing new here uh, in ECW. So uh, Meltzer would write that probably have never have two men pulled out so many stops and tried so hard and done so many impressive, th- impressive spots in such a horrible match. So, yeah, and I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, there's really, really a lot of missed spots, but also there's just a lot of crap everywhere and so it's going to affect where you can go in the ring and how you can work uh at one point sandman has sabu laying on a table that's like propped between the ring and the guardrail and then there's a ladder like on the guardrail like laying horizontally on the guardrail he's supposed to i think jump off hit the ladder is supposed to flip over and smack onto sabu he totally misses it and kind of smacks it with his arm and tries to jackknife it around, and they sell it as best they can, but it doesn't look right. And even if it had gone perfectly, I'm not sure how well it would have worked. Well, and what what I noticed about that is that whenever he grabs the uh, ladder and pulls it in, he ha- it actually smacks Sabu in the face. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so it probably hurts a hell of a lot more because he's not anticipating that. Right. Yeah, you, you don't see it coming, so it's tough um so yeah they're they're breaking tables and smacking chairs around and ladders all this kind of stuff it actually has sort of the opposite effect sort of dampens the crowd uh because at some point again we talked about hot shine you've done so much in one (coughs) pay-per-view excuse me it's old hat people are sick of it they've seen it at this point um so yeah the the report here is that Sandman is pretty injured himself. So it's not good, <laughs> but it also takes 20 minutes. Also, it also takes forever. So um, Sandman was out of the ring for a long time after this and gets uh, a good reaction from the fans as he's leaving. And they were, pla- they were happy to see him. The, the, a lot of this is impacted also by the fact they don't have the music on Peacock because they have to pay rights fees and so forth. Normally, when you hear the opening strains of Inner Sandman, the whole crowd pops. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm going to say it doesn't work for me. Just because it's too much. It's just flat out too much. Yeah. Meltzer makes a point that said the wrestling in between the latter spots was like watching Jim Duggan against Ahmed Johnson. Um, that's, a dis- that's disrespectful to Jim Duggan. <laughs> I believe you've got a Jim Duggan related purchase. Have you not recently? I do. I have a, uh, have a Jim Duggan, uh, number 69 Atlanta Falcons throwback Jersey, uh, that's in the laundry right now, but. So um, you and probably nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else. And I know it's number 69 because I asked him. There you go. (laughs) So getting the hard hitting journalism here, getting the inside scoop on numbers from 45 years ago. Yeah, well, hey, somebody's got to do it, man. 
but yeah, uh really. yeah the, the crowd went mild in this one it was just bad um i gave it one star out of respect for both men as the, the they really hurt themselves in this so i it's just uh, one star for effort and Meltzer, of course was negative three and a half stars um yeah just not good it's not good at all but this uh on to your main event of the evening yeah so we of course have the franchise shane douglas against none other than the beast from the east mr bam bam bigelow this match went on for 25 minutes um and that's the best you can say about it yeah well i i just the first the first i don't know two-thirds of the match was sort of lame mm-hmm. uh it was just you know doug i don't know douglas just wasn't getting the reaction and well he got a baby face pop because i mean Shane douglas is always a heel or in this era certainly always a heel as the franchise player of uh of ECW with the head cheerleader, the queen of mean Francine. Well, not only that, injuries is coming hobbling in on a cane. I mean, not Crutch. only that, but this is basically Shane Douglas's home, hometown. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Shane, like he got Shane's, a baby face pop because they're close to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Shane's from Pittsburgh. He just, uh, yeah, for some reason, the crowd went not so crazy. And, uh, oh, they're crazy. Yeah, I get, I guess everybody made the drive from Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which which is entirely possible knowing these fans. I mean, it yeah, yeah. By God, you, you can run, but you can't hide. You're gonna hear me, boy. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just didn't really happen for him. Um, Bigelow is obviously on the heavier side of his life. Uh, the uh, it just it just went too long, and it was a little boring. And then like the last you know five minutes or so, it started picking up, and it it was better. Um, Bigelow basically has the advantage the entire match and uh, trying to tell a story where Douglas took a beating and was badly injured in the process, but was uh, still gutsy enough to win at the end. Um, uh, Bigelow threw down referee Finnegan and ended up who ended who in the hell would want to be a referee at NECW. Uh, I mean, we look at Bill Alfonso who no offense to him, looks like he could be the next star of bum fights. Uh, you know, th- yeah. this is what you're dealing with here. Uh, God bless those folks for working as hard as they did. Cause they worked hard for I, what I have to assume is not much money, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing here is you've just done this a million damn times already tonight. And by the end of this, the crowd's just spent. Yeah. Well, Two I mean, considering, considering that the wrestlers were working there for pretty much a, uh, 50 bucks and a whopper with cheese. Ooh, no, no, no. you got to negotiate cheese. I don't know. I promise that. Well, I mean, if, if the talent's making that, then I know the ref, the refs have to pay to be in there because, because this is, uh, it's, yeah, it's just not good, uh, for anyone's health. Um, uh, well, you, we keep talking about, I mean, this is 25 years ago. And a lot of these guys are in their twenties and maybe thirties at this time. No, a lot of saying, them are oh, dead. He's dead. Oh, he's dead. Oh, he's <laughs> dead. I mean, there may be some, uh, correlation and maybe perhaps even some causation here. Uh, so, and I'm not trying to wish 
bad on anybody. I hope they all have prosperous and successful lives. But there's a pattern to be witnessed here, it would seem. Yeah. And anyways, uh, Shane ends up uh, juicing on this one. Uh, Candido and Storm came out on a signal from Francine, who was injured but tried to work while on crutches. And uh, I'm trying to remember what she did. Uh, This was a legit injury. Uh, I cannot remember. But I want to say that she got thrown out of a ring or something like that. But, I mean, they they just – they don't give they don't give a damn about women in this uh <laughs> the gimmick well they don't care about men much either i mean it's just the injuries and yeah, horrifying gimmick, things going on yeah the gimmick was if they hit the ring it would be a dq forgetting of course that the entire card was nothing but outside interference with no threats of dq yeah you've got that's why you have to enforce rules i'm sorry i don't mean to sound like bill watts here but if there are no rules there are no rules to break yeah, so, so that, as this was going on, Bigelow pressed Douglas and threw him over the top rope of the ring onto the ring attendants. Um, that's probably the, the spot of the night. And uh, Storm's knee buckled as part of the team making the catch. So uh, there there went that knee. There went that knee. Uh, so yeah, Bigelow then threw down Finnegan one more time for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> and Francine hit sure. Bigelow with a crutch, but you know, of course, Bigelow no sells this and made a wild crutch baseball swing at Francine and then spiked Douglas onto the crotch and uh hit uh Douglas with the crutch with the crutch in the arm, uh, which was the spot to create the uh worked aspect of the injury. Mm-hmm. Uh but Douglas ends up delivering a belly to belly, but Bigelow kicks out and Bigelow set up a chair and table and teased the powerbomb spot through it, but Douglas reversed it and delivered a belly, belly to belly through the chair and the table for the pin. Uh, Meltzer gave it a star and three quarters. I gave it two and a half, uh, mostly because the last seven minutes of it, the last five, seven minutes, so I felt were pretty good. But that that first twenty, oh, that was that was tough. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I'm gonna give it a thumbs down. We do have a. a reemergence of lance storm's glorious uh, rat tail here as he and uh, candido who are the remaining two members of the triple threat at this point along with shane douglas come out to try and make the save it's just you know again i i felt drained at the end of the uh, you know by the time this match started i know it seemed like the crowd did too and you know you, you kind of point the finger at undercard matches oh this is plotting oh this is slow well if everyone's doing everything then nothing stands out and i think this is an excellent uh example of that this whole show so you know by the time they get to the main event it's all kind of chewed meat everybody's been there everybody's done that already yeah it's uh how can i miss you if you never leave um and that's sort of the story for a lot of ECW stuff. I mean, you'll well, that's hot shot. Go back to the day. Yeah, yeah. ECW's got a lot of good shows, but man, when it's it's kind of like AEW. When AEW is good, it's it's really good. But right. when it's bad, it's so so bad. Well, let me um, let me say this. I'm gonna count. I'm gonna kind of sort of uh, disagree with you a little bit there. I don't know how many great shows ECW has. ECW has a lot of great moments. Like individual moments, maybe individual matches, but it when you get an entire card of stuff like this, 
it's hard to be for it to be good or for anything to stand out. And I think they lost a lot also when they lost the likes of Jericho, Malenko, Guerrero, Benoit. I mean, they 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 took they didn't necessarily have the hardcore so much. They had the more technical style, as did you know. Um, Rey Mysterio gets his first big American break in ECW. So there was Lucha stuff going on too. But as those guys all got signed up by bigger operations, what you had left was a lot of the hardcore guys. And you get a, you, one or two hardcore matches on a card, maybe a good thing. But wall-to-wall hardcore, extreme rules, whatever, garbage wrestling as some people call it, eventually you just can't do anything else. You, you're going to have to shoot somebody. Well... I don't know. I thought top to bottom, I thought barely legal that they had earlier this year was pretty good. I mean, that was Raven and Terry Funk and then Terry Funk and Sandman, uh, you know, Taz and Sabu. I mean, it was, it Didn't was they have to like play a music video or something in the middle of barely legal, like the first barely legal. Like it wasn't all wrestling. They had to like put in some filler, random filler stuff. I don't remember. Hmm, I don't remember that. Or am I thinking of a different one? I thought that like they got in trouble with the um you know, the pay-per-view company because they didn't put completely live new content. They they did one that was like a replay match and then they did like a music video in the middle of it or something. Maybe I'm thinking of their TV I show. I could I could be wrong. I don't know. Um would seem weird that they would do that though. Because I mean, it's, they didn't have a lack of talent to get out there and do something, right? Um, not on a pay per view, but I don't know. I'll, I'll we'll check into that. But uh, anyway, so overall thoughts on this one, JD? You know, it's interesting to go back and see. I want I won't claim I was ever the world's biggest ECW fan, but I liked it. You know, uh, back in high school, but maybe it's because I was in high school. Um, going back, like I said there's some great moments here and a lot of fun moments. Uh, but overall to me, the effect is just one of just wearing you out. And by the end of it, you're just like, I I'm ready for this to be done. I don't need to see this again for a while. Um, so, you know, I'm open to doing more ECW shows. I'm not anti ECW by any stretch of the imagination apart from, I think maybe, and then we've talked about this with Mick Foley as well. You know, they went too far and now other guys who are less talented than them are going too far and it's going even too far has become even further well and i think a lot of that is just the fact that we're looking back on it and we're like eh, we've this is actually the stuff we've actually grown to hate mm-hmm. um well because you overdo it well and you know like i said this happened 25 years ago so we got 25 years worth of stuff just like this but at that time, it really wasn't happening too much in in America. Oh no, um, this was innovative at the time. Yeah, and, it, and yeah. so to that extent, I mean, uh, to that extent, overall, I'm going to go two out of five stars on this. Um, had its moments, uh, but I, and I think it's a lot of that was just because you know, people were injured, and. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, that's just, you know, whenever you're constantly doing these types of matches all throughout the year and you're constantly doing, you know, ladder matches, table matches, chairs, oh my, um, it's, uh, it can, can really, by the end of the year, <laughs> and November rolls around, you're, you're going to be 
hurting. Uh, yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's probably what led to it not being an overall good pay-per-view, but it wasn't their worst. Um, oh no, we get so much work because the talent roster gets depleted even more from here on out. Um, but yeah, like we talked about last week, I believe it was, this is a moment in time, much like the tuxedo button cover. ECW is the tuxedo button cover of wrestling. It belongs at a very specific place in time, and it looks really out of whack anywhere, any other time. Hmm. I'd say so. Well, we're going to go for the cover, the count, the victory on this one. Uh, we, uh, I have not watched ECW, honestly, in a solid two, three years. So Certainly it was it's been a while for me too. So it's, it's been, it's been a good, uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, oh, I, yeah. it's, it's, it's different and not necessarily something that I'm supremely into, uh, but for what it is, which is, um, hopefully it's a lesson to <laughs> a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah. The cautionary tale. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say that, uh, it was a, uh, it was a bit of a ride. It was a bit of a ride, but, uh, anyways, guys, we really want you to join us next week. Cause next week we're going to be talking about none other than the ravishing one himself. That's right. We're talking about Mr. Richard rude, AKA Rick rude. Uh, we're going to be doing a career perspective on him and, uh, giving, uh, our thoughts on perhaps what his best match or matches are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's going to be something a little bit different from what we normally do, but, uh, we'll try to make it as interesting as we possibly can. And, uh, if not, we'll make it really short. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, if it's going to flame out, it's going to flame out spectacularly. Yeah. So as a, uh, fat out of shape, inner city, uh, sweat, hog. Sun, sweat hog. I will uh, keep the noise down. And uh, JD, if you have any parting words, we'll just be ready to tune in next week when we show you all what a real sexy man looks like <laughs> with the ravishing uh, one, Rick Rude. I will bid our listening audience adieu. Adieu.